ladies and gentlemen, now hosting the Rizzo cast, put your hands together for Steven Rizzotto. What is going on, everybody, and welcome. This is episode number 124 of Rizzo cast. And today we are joined by a very special guest. Uh, he has played in parts of eight seasons at the big league level with the Oakland A's, uh, the Chicago Cubs, the Houston Astros, the Cincinnati Reds, the Miami Marlins, the Baltimore Orioles. He's played overseas in Korea. He's pitched a few years there. Uh, so he's been around a while. It is veteran starting pitcher Dan Straley. Dan, how you doing? Welcome. Good. It was nice of you to name a half the league right there when you're talking about where I've been and so far. Does it feel that way? Does it feel like you've been with half the league? It it really does feel that way. It's kind of to the point where like I've like I don't I haven't walked into a clubhouse and not known somebody, whether it be a video guy, a bullpen catcher, a teammate, a coach. Like I've had them before. I've like there's not been a clubhouse I've walked into where I didn't know somebody in that room. Well, there you go. Is it is it cool for you to kind of like, you know, when somebody asks you, oh, how was this city? How was this city? I mean, you get to give them a pretty good answer. So does that help that you've kind of like been well-traveled? I mean, you call yourself the journeyman. Uh, your podcast is the journey, has a journeyman in it. So do you feel like a journeyman in that sense that you're pretty well-traveled at this point? I would say well-traveled, but uh, definitely not a good tourist. Uh, we basically <laughs> could go, people are like, oh, how's New York City? It's so cool. You got to play the Yankees. I was like, yeah, the hotel was nice. The bus was nice. And so was the field. That's all we got time for. Like, it's like, I, I wish it was vacation, but it's just, it's just not. But yeah, I've got a chance to see a lot of cool cities, um, lived in quite a few of them. And uh, it just really got a chance to see a lot of cool stuff, but definitely haven't been like a, a full-on tourist in these cities yet. Yeah, it's every once in a while, it's those Thursday, like, days off, you know, yeah. and when you're least, like, twice a month or something like that. So not a lot of time off for for, for Major League Baseball players, for sure. Um, and, Dan, we're recording this uh, very close to Christmas time, uh, and, and technically uh, Christmas Eve is next Sunday, which is crazy to think. This year flew by. Um, and, and I saw that on your Instagram page, your, your family – uh, has already put up the decorations already put up the tree you guys did that at the end of november so like yeah. right after thanksgiving is that the time when you know is that too early or is that the right time when should like we start getting into the christmas spirit because i feel like this is the million dollar question that nobody seems to know the answer to um i mean i have a five-year-old so <laughs> we the the day after thanksgiving <clears throat> grandma took us up to this uh this spot in Oregon that has this like Christmas train. So we he was full bore into Christmas the day after Thanksgiving. Um, but you no, know, my wife and I, it's actually we're celebrating our 10th year of marriage next week. And so we are actually taking off for uh for a whole week. And so we and we're hosting Christmas when we get back. So we had to get everything ready, all the presents wrapped, purchased, ready to go, uh, Christmas decorated, everything ready to go super early in our house this year. Um, and plus we, we live in central Oregon where it likes to snow. And we go out and cut down our own tree. So we got to kind of do that before we get uh, too socked in. Otherwise, it just makes it uh, for an eventful trip that you're not looking for. So basically, whenever you like walk through the store for the first time and hear the Christmas music and you don't get like pissed off that it's playing, I think then it's okay for you to go decorate. There you go. And when should all that come down? Is it like the first week of January, like January 15th? Like nobody's keeping their tree up like in February. I mean, when if you have your tree up, 
Valentine's Day, then I think you have like major issues. We're a December 26th household. Um, oh, yeah, it's it is interesting. We're where we decorate early. Um, we get a tree early. It spends the better part of a month in our house, usually close to a fireplace, and it is ready to go December 26th. We're just hoping and praying our tree stays green until Christmas. Uh, I think it was last year or two years ago, our tree was pretty brown on Christmas, and it was kind of funny. We debated tearing it down and getting a new one, um, but we just decided to roll with this Charlie Brown-looking thing. But yeah, no, we're uh, the only thing that we do differently is I'm I'm that guy that doesn't put up his own Christmas lights. Um, my family just refuses to let me on ladders, so we hired out, and it was actually kind of cool. The guy I ran into ended up being um, a former minor leaker, like a long time ago, and he does landscaping up here in Central Oregon now. But he is the guy we hire. He knows that we're pretty flexible. I live out in the country, not in a community. I live in the middle of nowhere, and uh, he he put my lights up in October this year wow okay October. so did you get a good I, deal I on home. that at least i have no clue my wife was doing that but i got home from korea and it was like the second week of october and the lights were on the house and she was just like yeah i was gonna tell you about that but i figured yeah I'd just let you see it <laughs> we don't we don't plug them in until after thanksgiving but they've been on the house since october uh which is kind of weird and so that's definitely uh, not a custom in our house by any means but that's been something that's uh, a little a little borderline too much for us in the around the christmas around the christmas spirit exactly and i know you just mentioned that you have a uh a five-year-old son i imagine he's gonna walk away a winner from this christmas um and christmases to come um i mean if he's not around do you want to kind of tease maybe what you got your son um yeah, he's not around. He actually just went with mom to, I saw him drive out the the driveway. Um, they, uh, we got, he doesn't know this yet, so nobody tell him, but he's actually going to Disneyland for New Year's. And so he, uh, he's pretty, he's going to be pretty excited about it, but he's, he's, he wanted some Legos and some other stuff. It's not like he's even asking what five-year-olds asking mom and dad, Hey, can I go to Disneyland? So he doesn't know, uh, but we're going to tell him on Christmas and we're those people that are going to try to brave it out over the uh, over the actual holiday. But we're in, he's in school now, so we have to pay attention and be respectful of uh, of his school schedule as well. So we kind of need to do it during that that two week winter break. Yeah, there you go. Forget about the Legos. Going to Disneyland, geez. Um, yeah. So when is when is usually the timetable in terms of getting ready for you personally? In terms of getting ready to go for the upcoming year, um, do you take a few weeks off? Are you in the gym right now? Is it right after Thanksgiving? When is kind of your your date and timetable to kind of get started for an upcoming season of some sort? Take me through that process. Yeah, so season ends, I usually take a week to 10 days of just like nothing, like just nothing. And then uh, just being a normal, everyday human being, living life. And then I get back in the gym about 10 days later. Um we're not going crazy. We're just moving around, getting, getting things. You never really, when you get to your mid thirties, you don't really finish a season uh, with everything lined up correctly uh, to say the least. And so you're kind of always trying to correct stuff and get ready to go uh, for the next year. So we kind of start working on that stuff pretty quick. Um, but now we're back full throws for no bullpens yet, but we've been airing it out, trying to long toss whenever we can. We're out here in the snow, actually uh, uh, mowed out a section of my pasture that we've been long tossing in. And so uh, we got a group of guys up here in Central Oregon that, that we kind of get after it that way. And we have a lot of fun with it, but we're, we're pretty much full go. I don't think there's really a lot of room to, to kind of sit around and wait too much longer for guys uh, in, in this sport any longer. They, they just, 
without the the aid of uh of steroids or other things that guys in the past had that got to have um you know we kind of just have to keep moving and keep everything going because everyone has to show up to, to spring training ready to go it's no longer spring training it's not a time to really get ready for the season it's a time to fight for a job um for the most for the majority of the guys in each clubhouse um obviously we see in the headlines all the superstars and those guys every day um that are you know guaranteed jobs and guaranteed money but that's that's not 95 percent of baseball and so you know guys are back in the gym like myself we're back in the gym rolling and getting ready for the next year long before uh, long before anything shows up on tv yeah no absolutely if you show up to spring training and you know out of shape nowadays it's going to be written about you know february 20th first day whatever it may be but um and i guess we're also in the midst of free agency right now and I mean, have you been paying attention to like some of these stars signing and the contracts that they're getting and some of the massive deals that are being handed out by these teams? Are you keeping up with all of that craziness? I want to say keeping up, but I definitely notice it. Um, we have a Mets reliever that works out with us. And so I've been seeing all that stuff go crazy, <laughs> uh, which is always kind of fun. Um, and then uh, some of the Yankee moves found out moments before anything went public just from having the Yankees catcher work out with us. And so it's been kind of cool to see some of these things uh, kind of to come to fruition. But the, uh, you definitely you can't if you're in any sort of social media and following any sort of baseball, you're going to see all these transactions. And quite frankly, all I sit back and say is that's nice. Must be nice. Great for that guy. Happy for him, because at the end of the day, uh, as a ball player and. I just want to see myself and my friends get as much out of this game as they can financially and successfully on the field. Like it's, you know, setting up some generational wealth for a lot of guys out there and a lot of families, and that's going to impact a lot of people. And that's really awesome to see. Um, and it's cool to see some of these teams really going for it and trying to spend more money to bring the best class of ball players to their town to try to win it for their city. Um, cause that's, that's what, that was what makes this sport better. In my opinion is when, when more, more teams go for it and go spend the money and go try to get these big names and go try to, and, and, you know, beat these guys on paper so they can go out there and beat them on the field. Um, so I think it's great for the sport. I love it. I love seeing it happen. Um, I love seeing the Mets just say, forget about this, this thing you guys call the luxury tax. Like we're just going to spend whatever we want and we'll deal with it later. Um, and I think it's pretty cool to see. And I, uh, I definitely have, uh, there haven't been any in my brain that I've seen so far that have just been like, wow, really? They've all just been like, wow, good for him. Like, Hey, good for him. I'm happy he got that. Hey, good for him. Um, they've all been like pretty, pretty awesome deals. And then also too, like, you know, I hear about other deals that haven't been publicized kind of behind the scenes, smaller deals. Um, you know, certain guys getting arbitration deals done and whatnot and things like that. And, and happy for those guys too. And, and really happy to see just guys, uh, you know, make it that far in their career. They actually get to to see a, a good sized paycheck after after. I mean, don't get me wrong. Baseball gets paid well, period. I'm not saying that I'm saying, but just to see these these seven figure paychecks come in after working for 20 years of their life to get there. It's really cool to see. Yeah, no, 100 percent. And, you know, it's it's great when uh, when owners buy baseball teams for like one point three billion and then set out like an 80 million dollar payroll for the season. It's like, what are we doing here? But uh, it's good to see that the Mets are kind of bypassing that, like you mentioned. Yeah. Um, so, you know, technically uh, a free agent yourself, you haven't pitched in the big league since 2019. Do you have a desire to return stateside and, you know, get into big league camp with the team and 
Uh, if so, is there any interest in you so far that you know of? Oh, sorry to break your heart. I've been under contract for uh, about, I don't know, a while, but I'm, no, I'm, I'm in Korea. Ah, and, okay. Going back. Yeah, I don't know. No, I went back there midsummer last year. I took an out with the Diamondbacks um, and went back to Korea and uh, just went back for the rest of that year and this year. So yeah, no, I've, this has been my first off season in a while where I have had not had to think about any of that. Like just come home and just be a dad, be a husband, get ready for next year. So is it less stressful that way? I want to say less stressful. Um, it's less time on the phone with my agent. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. The, I, I feel like I've, I've been kind of blessed with the mindset of like, I'm going to take care of myself and let the rest take care of itself. It was something my college pitching coach kind of instilled in me uh, when I was kind of younger and trying to, what do I need to do to get drafted? What do I need to do? And like, that's just kind of this mantra he just kept saying to me. And I kind of have used that throughout my career at pretty much every single stressful situation um, and this is no different. So like, yeah, the off seasons where I don't have a job right now kind of thing. Like, yeah, you're, it's, it's a little, but you know, there's going to be one, you just know there's going to be one. And so it's just like, you just don't know where you're going. You just don't know where you're going. And last year wasn't, I want to say it was stressful, but it was just different. Like I didn't, I don't even remember when I signed, I think it was like mid January. Um, and it was just like, you just don't know where you're going to be. You just know you're going to be somewhere type of deal. Um, and I feel like, again, blessed to be in that situation because there's a lot of guys out there that don't know where they're going to be. They're hoping for a job, praying for a job. Um, and I've, I've yet to experience that. And I'm sure that is very stressful. Um, but again, I just feel very blessed that I haven't had to, to kind of go through that ringer yet. Yeah, that's a whole lot better of a situation than what I was than what I what I said. So my heart is no longer broken. Um, let's let's get into kind of your your career a little bit i mean you're a california guy by birth but you move up to oregon when you're when you're young and take me through kind of that that those early days of starting to fall in love with baseball because i talked to a lot of guys on here and they always say that you know i played basketball football and then by 16 years old baseball kind of narrowed its path and i chose baseball you know so was baseball the number one sport for you and and how or when did you know that you were good at it? Um, yeah, I have a really unique story in that regard. I like I sucked at baseball. I loved it because my dad was a big fan of baseball. My great grandfather was a big fan of baseball. It was constantly on TV. Um, our family trip every year was go up to Seattle to go watch the Dodgers play the Mariners uh, back when that used to happen every year. Um, and that was because my my dad and, and his and his brothers and my great grandfather, everybody in Southern California, and so they were big Dodger fans. And so they just kind of made this trip where we'd go up to Seattle. So I kind of started falling in love with baseball at a young age. And like, I, I made one all-star team growing up. Like I didn't really make my freshman baseball team. I say I didn't really make it. Cause like they basically called me and were like, Hey, like you're not going to ever play. If you want to stay here, you can catch bullpens, throw batting practice, do this basically like a team manager um, kind of deal. And um, yeah, I was just kind of the shortest, chubbiest kid on on the block and that was just kind of the card I was dealt and that's where I was at with life I just loved baseball and I was a sophomore in high school and I wrestled or sorry I played football um and my coach came up to me he was a wrestling coach and he said hey if you want to play baseball for me in the spring you should really think about wrestling for me this winter um that way you can just become a better athlete basically and I lost a bunch of weight, gained a lot of coordination, gained a lot of strength. And all of a sudden, man, I was pretty decent at baseball. Uh, still didn't play a bunch. And then I changed high schools. My family moved across the state of Oregon 
and I got to this new high school and they're like, yeah, so what positions do you play? And this is like way before there was ever social media, anything about players, no recruiting hubs. And so I was like, oh, I play first base, third base, left field. I can pitch, I can catch, whatever, whatever you need. That's what I do. And that just, I, I was decent, obviously. I wasn't like terrible. That's why I was kind of, you know, transferred schools and was able to have that conversation. But um, I mean, was that a little bit of a lie? Yeah, of course it was. Like that was just me being eager and being hungry to want to play on this team and be a part of this thing. Um, and so I really, that was when baseball started to kind of shift for me. That was when I started really as a junior in high school is kind of when it started to click for me. Um, I love football, but I was the backup players, punt snapper and special teams guy. Like it was fun because my friends did it, but it wasn't, I wasn't good at it. Uh, basketball, I got cut from the B team in middle school. See you later. There's that career. Uh, wrestling, um, the guy that I would have had to wrestle in high school is a top MMA fighter. It's just like he's a, one of the UFC champions. Like I, that, that's just not, I, I can't compete with any of that. Um, and so baseball always kind of had like I, my passion for it was there. Um, and then when I kind of started to gain a little bit of get out of that kind of the awkward teen years and into a little more of a, a, a grown man's body, I started to really develop as a baseball player. And I was such a late bloomer that like I barely probably got drafted and didn't really get going until I was in professionals until I was in professional baseball. Um, and so I feel pretty, pretty fortunate that I, even got a D2 scholarship out of high school, honestly. Yeah. And then, um, long story there, but uh, it was I, I, I got out of that one and walked on to Marshall University um, in, in West Virginia and was there for two years before I got drafted. And that was where I really kind of started becoming an athlete. That was kind of where I went from just kind of this guy that, that played baseball to a, being a baseball player. And that was a, a big shift for me. It's where I started to really fall in love with the weight room. Um, it's where I started to learn about, oh, what you put in your body does matter. Like I, all these things I didn't know growing up in a little rodeo town in Eastern Oregon. People know us for our whiskey, Pendleton whiskey, but they don't really know us for, for producing a whole lot of athletes type of thing. Um, and so I was starting to learn all these things and kind of start put pieces together. And that was really, you know, I was 19 years old by the time I really started becoming an athlete and realizing that baseball was going to be an option for me, um, you know, post-college. Yeah. And, and real quick, going back to Oregon for a second, um, whenever we hear the conversation come out about, you know, whether baseball should expand to 32, you know, we always hear about Montreal, we always hear about Charlotte and we always hear about Nashville. Um, but tell me a little bit about like, get, give me a setup here on the Oregon baseball scene. Do you think like Oregon should be considered, you know, for expansion? Because this is, I mean, I, I could personally see it happening in the next eight years or so, you know, baseball expanding. Do you think Oregon would be a pretty sound possibility? You know, I have no idea. I truly don't. Um, it would have to go to Portland, Oregon. And that is the one city in this state that I just don't really know much about. I don't spend a whole lot of time. That's our biggest city. You're in the middle of nowhere. I keep forgetting that. <laughs> yeah, I, I live in Central Oregon uh, in Deschutes County. I don't even live in a city. I live in a county. And so I I have, I can I can see the mountain that's next to Portland, but I haven't, I don't go there too often. I don't think I've been to Portland for three years, but that's the city that I would need to go to. There's a lot of people that have put their heart and souls into bringing baseball there. And all I really have to say about that is, they brought soccer there and it is killing it. 
the I have all my friends in Portland, family in Portland. They are all fans of the Timbers, and they love them. And I could I don't know if that would translate to baseball, but if it did, that town bleeds soccer and it bleeds basketball. Like there's I don't know how big the Blazers are nationwide. I just don't. But in the city of Portland, that is that is Mecca. Like the Blazers walk around there, gods, and it is just. And I have a feeling that would be that way with baseball. I know they they loved their AAA there, and that kind of got kicked out, and soccer got brought in, and that's been extremely successful. So I could see it happening. Um, I think that just purely based on, I mean, Nashville just sounds cooler than Portland, Oregon, in a lot of regards to a lot of people. Um, proximity to other to other cities is it's way better. Uh, but also, too, if you threw another team out here in the American League West type of deal, that would bridge a lot of travel for for some of these teams. Because I don't know if people realize this, but going from Seattle to, to Houston to go play a division game, isn't it? Like, that's such a long flight. It's a long flight from Oakland. It's a long flight from Anaheim. But it's even a further flight from Seattle. And it is it is just – it's tough. And uh, padding in another – Another team up here in, in Oregon would be would be really important, would be really big for a lot of those guys. Um, just rest wise, they'd probably you'd probably see even a little bit better uh, competition level out of them. But it'd be it'd be really interesting to see. I know there's a lot of really good options, like you said. There's a lot of really good cities that could could probably do a lot of good for for the sport. Um, and I just think that deep down inside, I hope they don't. And they might because it might be the best move. But I hope they don't just like double up on a city like they do sometimes. You know, like two LA's, two New Yorks to Chicago's. I just hope they don't do something like that. Um, and they continue to just branch out to these, these other cities, albeit it's going to be smaller market teams because that's kind of what's left. Um, but you know, I, I feel like a lot of times like having that tied to you, like kind of just brings in a certain level of owner. If you get a, an owner in there that doesn't care about that, like just come in here. I want to win baseball games. Like that could be really awesome to see too. Yeah. Two, two in Oakland. No, that probably won't happen. We might not even see one in Oakland. And speaking of Oakland, that's a great segue, by the way. I'm going to give myself some credit. Uh, you, you were a, you know, an A's 24th round pick in, in 2009. And I want to ask you about the A's because you pitched with them during some of the really, really good seasons in Oakland. Yeah. Um, and, and, and you kind of maybe have a gauge of that fan base when it's at its best. Uh, I mean, what are your, what are your thoughts on on the A's? Not necessarily a relocation question, because uh, yeah. we don't need to get into that, but more or less, kind of like the A's fans as a whole, and kind of your experience playing in Oakland. Yeah, I I loved it. Um, I think too, there's a special appreciation for the fan base over there when you come up there, and they they've heard of you since you were probably like in like maybe high A because there's a decent amount of fans that will come over to Stockton that I didn't realize were season ticket holders in Oakland, but they come over to Stockton games when, when the A's are out of town. And it's like, you just don't realize how, how, how passionate some people are about the sport of baseball, how passionate they are about following their team. I hear my, my future brother-in-law, he's a huge Niners fan. And he always talks about, we did this. We have this game. We didn't do this. And I forget all the time, like that, like when he says we, I have to like really, oh yes, the Niners. I know exactly what you're talking about. Um, and it's like, but that is such a part of sports. That is such a part of the fan base. And in Oakland, you really feel that. You really feel that we with the fans. And I'm sure that's the same everywhere. But for me, like I spent the most of my career as a member of that organization. 
And so I really felt that. Like I, I knew all the groundskeepers in Arizona. I knew all the guys all the way up. I literally touched every single, every single field that they had in his affiliate on the way up. And so it's just kind of like you see that and there's just such a bond and such a connection with that. I, I personally really like love the fans there. Um, they, one of my favorite parts about playing there was, I think it was John Heyman said something about we were playing the Giants and said it's just it's a, it's a shame that the A's and Giants are playing this game in the Coliseum while AT&T sits empty tonight. And it was like everybody just like was like, wait, what? What did you just say? And I'm sure there's a lot of fans out there that were like, yeah, that's a good point. Like, why are they playing this game? And it just infuriated the Oakland fan base. And Sean Doolittle said, I, I don't remember the exact quote on it, but he said something along the lines of like, it might be a dump, but it's our dump. Like, worry about yourself over there in South Florida. And it was just one of those things that the A's fans, like, that's just like, if, if, if you could put that on a quote on a t-shirt, like they would probably wear that very proud. And now the Coliseum looks way different. It's been upgraded. It's, it's polished. It's, it's a totally different place than when I played. Um, but like, it's one of those deals where it's like, it doesn't matter where your favorite team plays. Like you're coming to watch them. And yes, it's nice to have all the, that other cool stuff, but they're there to watch the A's and you really get that, that kind of sense from them. Um, and also too, probably being an older stadium, it's probably more affordable and allow people to come to more games more often. They probably love that aspect of it too. And so there's just like all these kind of things, but, um, there's still actually a few, few A's fans that message me all the time and then say hi and talk back and forth. Um, and I love it. I think it's fun, but, um, I have really no, no issues with any of the fan bases I've ever played with, uh, to be quite honest. Uh, but the A's fan base to me is always special just probably cause it was, you know, the first people ever to, to welcome me to a major league stadium. And it just kind of, that will forever hold a, a special place in my heart. Yeah. John Heyman must not understand the, uh, the simple, logic of what an MLB schedule is because I mean yeah that doesn't make any sense to make a comment like that when you know that series is played in both Oakland and San Francisco every yeah I don't know it's weird whatever tough week for John Heyman by the way um so if I'm not mistaken you were you were on that that 2013 team that got and I know you just mentioned the upgrades that were made this will probably never happen again but were you on that team when like the clubhouse like flooded or whatever happened like what what happened with that give me some insight we're literally uh sitting in there and Donaldson just comes running around the corner and just and just just freaking out that there was just like he said there's shit shooting off the ceiling And like, we thought he meant like something like spraying, no, like actual sewage was like spraying out of toilets off the ceiling in the bathroom. And it was just like, Oh my, I can't believe this is happening. But like, what's next? Where do we go? Um, and the staff just got us upstairs to the Raiders clubhouse as fast as possible. And, um, it was just, it was just one of those things. Like it just happened, like who it could happen anywhere, but it happened there. And so obviously it got made fun of, it got poked fun at and all this kind of stuff, but it was just, it was just kind of a part of it. Like, um, but I remember like, it was the first time in professional sports that, cause you, you shower with your coworkers at the end of the day, we joke around about it. Cause it's one of the very few jobs that actually happens. And so we had to shower with the other team. There was getaway day for the Mariners. And like, it was just like, how do we, no one knew how to like, what, what's the etiquette on this? Like, no one knew. It's like, what do we, do they go first? Do we just let them, what do we do here? Um, but I just remember, uh, I just remember walking upstairs. I don't know why I remember this so well, but I remember walking upstairs 
and uh, Raul Banez was like standing there, um, like mostly dressed and just getting ready to head out. And he's putting his shirt on. I'm like, dude, that guy's got 12 abs. And he's like getting ready to retire at this point. And I'm like, this guy is shredded. And he hides it so well. He looks strong in his uniform. That's what you like, remember. Guy, <laughs> I was like, this guy's shredded. And uh, it was like the talk of the clubhouse for quite a while, just like how shredded he was. But uh, no, it was just like, yeah, the clubhouse flooded. But like at the end of the day, like we, okay, like next, like show up after this road trip and it'll probably all be cleaned up. And it was, everything was fine. Like it, it's not like this big flashy clubhouse that I've seen other places that I've gone and played in. Um, but like, again, I didn't know the difference and I didn't quite frankly, didn't care. I was just happy to be there. Loved being a part of that team. We were a playoff bound team all three years. I was a part of it. And what else what doesn't get much better than that? Yeah. And you, you got a Raul Abanez story out of it. So that was, that was the go. last thing I was expecting you to answer, but it was the most of perfect. Course. So I love that. Um, and, and you were, you were traded four times during your career. And one of them was to Cincinnati and like, you know, it's a no, it's, a notable hitters friendly ballpark. Um, and I, I was looking at your numbers and like nothing really changed. I think statistically it was one of your best years in the big leagues. I mean, what is the key to, to pitching there and not only there, but also, you know, other hitter friendly ballparks, maybe a Colorado mixed in and a Houston with the short Crawford boxes in left field and Yankee State. Do you have to change anything, you know, going into some of those hitter ballparks? So, some of the best advice I ever had for pitching in small ballparks was that the other guys got to pitch there too. Yeah. And like, you can, you can beat yourself in this game before you even get to the field. Like you truly can, you can, you can strike yourself out. You can give up a bunch of runs in your head before you get there. It's a challenge. Some days, some of these night games where you're like these primetime games, it's like, it could be a challenge mentally. Um, but you, you, you can really, you got to remember that everyone's got to play the game there. And at the end of the day, Yes, you want to have personal success. Don't get me wrong. Like that's what keeps you in the league. That's what keeps you around. It keeps you relevant. But at the end of the day, if you can outlast the other starting pitcher and give up less runs every single time, more often than not, however you want to put it, you're you're going to stick around. Um, and a, another piece of advice I got from he's the A's pitching coordinator actually, Gil Patterson, was basically like why don't you just act like you throw hundred miles an hour? You should pitch like that just because you don't doesn't mean you need to act any different. And so when I got to Cincinnati, I really had to use that kind of mentality. We're like facing the, I think it was a Cubs championship season that year, but it's like, I'm facing these, these potential, these future world champions and these small ballparks and these different things. It's like, so like they're, they're just guys out here trying to get hits. Like, and I'm just a guy up here trying to strike them out. Um, so once you kind of like lose that, that kind of like that, that, that big, that, that awe of being there and just go out there and do your job. Um, like there's, you just have an immense confidence in yourself. And I think that that for me really started to grow in Cincinnati pitching in this small ballpark and having so much success there. And I also had Billy Hamilton in center field, which was very, very, very helpful for me. Um, and so it's just kind of one of those things where like it, the ballpark's small, but it's like not like you know so small that it's it's you know you can just anybody can you know just any every fly ball is not a home run. Um, you know, looking at different ballparks, I want to say there's a point in Wrigley Field that it's closer than the Coliseum, um, like right center, left center, like that's like one foot shorter in Wrigley than it is in Oakland, where it's like yeah, these ballparks are all built different, but they all have like big parts of the ballpark, and so um, 
honestly, I just tried to let him hit it to center and it kind of turned into a joke. Cause um, I always say we, cause it's me and Billy Hamilton, we led the league in uh, line drive outs to center field that year. And it was like, just let the guys hit as hard as they want center field. Billy's Billy's probably going to catch it. So just let him hit it to center. Um, and then I also had uh, the privilege of throwing to the, the great Tucker Barnhart. And he really helped me learn how to use my stuff differently because this was all right before the, the big analytical boom of, uh, of, of the baseball world. And so Tucker really had a good feel of, of how to catch and call a game. And so he really showed me a lot of things on how I should be pitching and how I should, should be using my stuff. And it's, I love that you brought this up too, by the way, because where I'm sitting, I'm kind of up in my man cave above my shop and I have on a full display over here to my left is uh, the, 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 the most outstanding pitcher award for the Cincinnati Reds is high up on that shelf. Uh, so yeah, that, that's that, that, that season stands out um, for me and my family a lot as well. That's awesome. Yeah. And you know, as we sit here right now, you know, 34 years old pitching in Korea, like not a lot of, a lot of people would walk away from the game before going to a foreign country to, to pitch, especially at 34. So that tells me that you really enjoy pitching. What is it about pitching? Is it the mind games? Is it the the competition? What do you like most about pitching? I know that's a very simple question, but it's oh, yeah. complex in many ways. I I think I fall in love with the process of things and the process of pitching, the process of a baseball season, the process of between each start, like the whole thing, the whole the whole the whole rotation of the year. I have just it's all I know first of all, but I also have just fallen in love with it to the point where like. I don't know anything else. Like, this is what I know. This is my 15th season of playing baseball professionally. This is what I know. Um, and I also have aspirations of finishing my career in the big leagues. And so um, I can't do that while I'm in Korea, right? I can, when I'm in Korea, I sign contracts there. So I got to go, I'm going to go play those out. Um, and when that's over, I, I you know, I really want to come back and try to pitch in the big leagues over here. And I tried that last year and I chose wrong. I just chose the wrong organization. Um, and I firmly believe that Korea made me a great offer to come back for a year and a half. I did it. And when that's over, maybe I'll stay again. Who knows? Well, time, time will tell, but I do have an extreme passion for this game. Um, it, it's, it's something, like I said, that I, I was a late bloomer in this sport. I was a huge fan of it first before I ever found out I was any good at it. And I've had plenty of teammates and friends that, don't really love baseball they're just really gifted at it and i'm so glad i'm not one of those guys those guys have made more money than me don't get me wrong but they like walk in and just are hard to be around sometimes because they just don't really like baseball and to me like i get so frustrated with that because i am so passionate about this game and love this sport um that i've given so much family time and different things up um and don't get me wrong i've been compensated for it but i'm saying that like i've given up so much away from the sport for the sport that like when I hear those kind of things, it frustrates me. But anyway, I digress. I am just in love with every aspect of this game. And it also helps that my wife is a big, big supportive member of this whole team straightly where she loves baseball as well. She's been along since I was drafted. She's been around this ride the whole time. And we've just kind of always had this, like we don't know a different life together. This is all we've ever known. And so when I do hang it up from playing days, that'll be the biggest adjustment we ever go through. It's not going to Korea. It's not playing in Miami across the country from here. It's not 
playing over in Baltimore or being in Cincinnati, it's going to be what's now, like, what do we do next? Like, that's going to be the big adjustment. That's going to be the hard part for us going overseas is I get to go do what I'm passionate about and get a cool cultural experience and feel like Jacob deGrom on the mound over there. So like, it's like this whole like perfect storm for me. Um, but you know, I do enjoy it. I like it over there a lot. The fans over there are incredible. Um, it's definitely not the big leagues, but that's okay. Like, that's okay. Like, I still love it. I love it immensely. And so, um, there's just, it's just different, but it's definitely something that has, it's not so bizarre or so different that it's kept me from going back. It's funny because you mentioned that you feel like Jacob deGrom over there. I actually talked to, um, he, he pitched in Japan. So a little bit different. Uh, but still the foreign aspect is kind of the same. Yeah. Michael Peoples. I don't know if you know Michael Peoples, but he pitched in J- Japan, former, I believe he came up with the Indians organization. Well, then the Indians organization, now the guardians. Um, and he said that like fans were sending him like songs about him and drawings oh, yeah. of him. Like, are you bowed down up there? Do they have like a song about you? Like all, you know, you see the jerseys and like, do you have like a fan club in Korea? Cause that's important. I do. I do. I have 90% of my Instagram is Korean, <laughs> um, which is hilarious to me because I, I, they, they comment, they love things, but they might not always know what I'm saying or understand the context or understand our traditions and all this kind of stuff. But like, they like to give gifts to the players, which is really backwards to like how we think over here, over here. It's like, why would I give this player a gift? Like they make, 10 times more money than me or, you know, whatever. Um, but like uh, one of our pitchers uh, had a complete game shutout, which is like pretty rare over there. Like it's just, it's pretty rare in baseball period, but it's pretty rare over there. And like the next day um, we're getting on the, on the bus and like this girl's handing him this like bag. It's like a Louis Vuitton bag. And I was like, that's interesting. Like, I was like, is that actually Louis Vuitton stuff in there? And he's like, I don't know. And he opens it up and there's like a Louis Vuitton wallet. And then, like, we get to the field, and there's, like, this other person handing him this, like, uh, uh, a Burberry bag. And I was like, "That's there's no way. There's no way two people in the same day. And he opens it up, and it's Burberry shoes his size. And I'm like, what on earth? Like, this is incredible. Um, and then I won, a, I won my 10th game over there, and someone hands me a pair of, like, Jordan 11 shoes my size. And I'm just like, this is, this is okay. I can get behind this. Like, yeah. I win some baseball games. You guys give me hard-to-find Jordans. I'm in on this. I'm in on this. Uh, but yeah, no, they have uh, a cheer song. They call them fight songs because, uh, like, they always say, like, fighting means like, 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 let's go, like, let's win. Uh, it's kind of like they're just like their version of cheering is kind of they use the word fighting for it. Um, so they have fight songs for everybody. And um, there was a, a pretty large miscommunication in 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 a, in a certain situation over there. And so every time I take them out, they play the unedited version of uh, "Humble," and so. <laughs> just the unedited version playing screaming, screaming over the speakers to the point of, uh, I come home from a game one night. My son's like, dad, what's little bitch mean? <laughs> I'm like, yeah, son. Um, we're going to have to, we're gonna have to forget that. And we'll, we'll talk later. I gotta, I gotta get you. They had no idea. Oh no. People are just dancing, cheering, singing. <laughs> and, um, it was just basically this whole, this whole thing where I was messing around with my translator and uh, I was like, yeah, they should totally play, uh, like sit down, be humble after they strike people out here because they have such a, they, they just don't do a great job of like the English language with some of their music. 
and they uh, when we were doing pitching changes, our home team doing pitching changes, they're playing Wild Thing. And so I was like, why don't they play like a more appropriate song like Humble, like after strikeouts, or maybe find something that's not Wild Thing for pitching changes. And so I literally go out there my next game. My translator's like, did you hear that? And I was like, what, the warm-up song? And he's like, yeah, that's your new song. And I was like, dude, no, like that's like, no. And he's like, nope, I did it. You're welcome. And he thought he was being like, so like nice. And so just like, Hey, I got you that song. And I was like, that's not at all what I meant, but okay. And I've asked for it to change, but it hasn't changed. So, um, yeah, they, uh, they have a fight song and cheer song for everybody. Um, when you walk out of the stadium, um, it can, it can take up to an hour just to, for me to walk a hundred feet out of the stadium to the parking lot. If I choose to stop and sign pictures or sign autographs, take pictures and whatnot, they love um, the selfie, but they hand you their phone and they want you to take the selfie. And so that one was kind of weird for me at first. Um, it's like, I, I just, I touched 75 different phones and we're over here. We're not even allowed to wear masks outside in public in that country. And you're handing me your phone constantly. I'm just like, There's, I don't understand some of this, but not here for that conversation either, but they, uh, they, they, they have, they love taking the selfies, um, but also too like super respectful. So like uh, off day, me, my wife, my son, we're down by the beach. Uh, we go to this like little, this little taco shop. I'm a big Western food guy still. Um, spend a lot of time in Korea on off days. We try to eat Western food. Uh, so we can kind of search it out and we're at this taco place. We kind of frequent and all of a sudden like people are like walking by, kind of like give me this like side eye and they want to stop and say hi so bad, but they just don't because they know that like I'm here with my family and it's an off day. We're having a meal. The moment we walk out the door, boom. Oh, Dan, can I, can I take a picture? And I'm like, dude, you didn't need to wait 45 minutes for me to finish eating. Uh, you could have just said hi, um, but that would be too hard to explain. So I just move on, take a picture, uh, say Lote fighting, uh, which is the kind of just like the, what, what you say. And so just kind of, kind of doing that and, uh, just, yeah, a totally different, totally different fan base, totally different, everything, um, compare that to walking down the street in Miami with John Carlos Stanton and him not even getting recognized was, it's just a different world, different world on, on, on how they do things. Um, but also to a uh, much smaller stage over there, like the country is a fraction of ours. And so, you know, we, and we, as foreigners definitely stand out. Uh, but the the whole the whole thing is just it's just so different. Like I said, it's just so bizarre compared to the way we do things over here. And I always say it's not better, it's not worse, it just is. That's interesting, especially that Giancarlo Stanton doesn't get recognized walking down the. Uh... It was that was a one time that was a one time thing. Like that was <laughs> yeah, but still, still I'm sure yeah, he no. got recognized plenty. Yeah, yeah, point makes sense though. Um, is there anybody that stands out in Korea? Like you know somebody that could that is putting up numbers down there that has, you know, impressed you a lot that could maybe translate that success into the big leagues. Is there anybody that you're super high on down there? Um, I, I'm not going to say his name cause I would probably, I feel bad butchering it, but the center fielder for the Kiwum team, um, he's this kid hit, I say kid cause I think he's like 22. Um, he hit like 350 this year again with like, over 20 homers and over 20 bags and plays a great center field. Um, and he's a kid that I could really see coming over here. And then that same team also has a starting pitcher that is pretty, pretty good. 
He's pretty good. I think he's mm-hmm. 19 or 20 as well. And he's just like, can run it up there close to hundred miles an hour, uh, which is, doesn't happen in Korea. Uh, he's probably like six, five, six, six, and this kid just slings it. Um, so if he can continue to develop uh, pitching and uh, develop pitches and develop command, like I think those are two, two players that would be pretty, pretty good, uh, pretty good fits over here um, down the road. But it's honestly like, that's such a crapshoot because you just don't know who's going to, who's going to work hard, who wants to come over to the States, who's, who's going to be really good at, by the time they get, they got to get through so many years to even post to come over here that who knows what's going to happen. Um, but those are some of the really, really talented players that I've, that I've run into. On a different note, complete different note. Um, this is something I do with a lot of players at the end and, I've done it a few times. I'm going to show you a picture of somebody you played in the minor leagues with, and okay. you're going to have to tell me who they are. Okay. So I'm not going to, yeah. I'm not going to like give you somebody who you play, like played six games, you know, that, that right. one year with you, this is going to be somebody that had a good, good amount of time uh, in the uh, minor leagues and you know, right. didn't make it to the big leagues. So this should be good. Okay. Hold on one second. Uh, there, there's been some people that have gotten, are they out in- of, are they in uniform? They're in uniform. Okay. That'll help. Okay. Yes. So there's been people that have gotten three out of three. I don't know. Adam Rosales, who were you teammates with Adam Rosales? Yeah. Adam Rosales was horrible at this. He didn't remember anybody. So as long as you could, he might've remember. he remember one guy. Cause I showed him like his double a double play partner or something, but um, he didn't remember anybody else. Okay. Here's your first guy. Who in the world is this? I mean, you kind of have his name on there too. Um, oh, darn! Do my... Oh, no, that's fine. <laughs> that's Michael Good Martin, though. No, I knew from his school. Like the, he's very, very proud of uh, of that college, and also to one of the sweatiest human beings I've ever been around in my life. So I will always remember him. But it got me at first because his brother Sean played with him too. So I had to really like pause for a second and remember the first name. Okay, so there you go. That's what you remember about him. Really sweaty, huh? Really sweaty. Uh, good, good, and both, and sweaty, both. Yes, sweaty in both senses. Okay, that's pretty good. So you're one for one. I just changed the name really quickly on this one, so the Perfect. file or whatever is not named his name. So, good, good call. Who is this? It's just pitcher. <laughs> yes. Um. Gosh, I know. I can tell you so much about him right now. Uh, University of North Carolina. That's right. Greensboro. Uh, he's from Greensboro. Why can't I think of his name? First guy I ever throw 96, by the way. First guy I ever saw. Yeah, I throw 96. Oh, my God. He's going to light me up if he ever hears this. He pitched a lot of innings on team no. on, on the same team as you a lot of times. Yes. Yes. We were in well, that whole year in Stockton together and the whole year before in King County together in the same rotation. And this is driving me nuts, and I'm just trying to buy time while I think of his name. And I Do you just... want his first name? His last name starts with a G, right? Yeah, similar to the one that you just you just said, or that that I just uh, showed. Gillum. Yes, there you go. What's his first it name? Is Rob. There you go, Rob okay. Gillum. So you you ended up getting it in the end. Very good. He's well, no. I was I was really close to messing that one completely up. He's a uh, he's a marketing manager now, from what I from my investigation. So, nice. And uh, Mike is now in real yeah. estate. So, uh, Rob Gillum, story for you. Uh, we we're in Stockton, where that uniform he's wearing, um, and uh, 
he like somebody bet something that you couldn't swim across this like body of water that was right behind the stadium and he he did it even though it was like do not do not do this type of thing uh so he like basically just took his uniform off and ran out there and sliding his sliders and swam across the other side and back and our manager just like absolutely lit him up and rob just had a case of beer waiting outside the door so when he walked out after he lit him up turned around hand the case of beer to him and said like hey i'm sorry there you go and the guy just busted up laughing was just like all right never mind just get out of here <laughs> like you 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 were so prepared to piss me off that you went out and bought me a case of beer ahead of time like you're good just just move on don't do it again that's excellent and speaking of uh I mean, this one, you kind of led right into it. Final one. Is this the guy that did some lighting up? There it is, Webster Garrison. What do you remember about playing from him? For him? From Webby? He, uh, man, what a kind-hearted individual. New Orleans guy. Um, he, like, just every day smiling. Every single day smiling for us. Bringing in and uh, just kind of just knew how to, like, keep the clubhouse light. Kind of knew how to just make it make it fun. Cause he understood like, you know, the hardest part of his job is how telling guys are getting let go. Um, cause there's, they don't have a lot of control over a lot of things being minor league managers, but he just, he, he understood that and knew how to just be a good dude about the whole situation. Uh, and yeah, I love playing for Webby. Uh, we had a good staff that year, really good staff between the, the pitching coach, uh, Craig Lefferts. Uh, I think Mac was our, our, our hitting coach. And then, um, yeah, I mean, that was a long time ago. That was what 2011. And, uh, I don't know. Yeah, that was kind of – I don't know if I've really seen Webby a whole lot since then, to be honest with you. But, um, yeah, that was a good, good group of guys right there. Yeah. Just really glad, I pulled Rob's, really glad I pulled Rob's name out of nowhere. <laughs> that was it. That was really impressive. It looked yeah. like you were – there was no chance you were going to get that, and you just pulled it out of a hat. But, uh, no, that was pretty good. And Craig Lefferts, by the way, a former Giant, and also I think mm-hmm. I played with, like, his, his great-nephew, JV really? Baseball, in San Francisco. Nice. So yeah. – um, Shout out to Max Lefferts. So uh, good family. Uh, Dan, man, dude, I appreciate you coming on. This was so much fun. We went a little bit over. I always go over with people, but it should be fine. And uh, I appreciate you uh, spending some time. And uh, it was a good conversation. Appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. And of course, uh, everybody could go follow Mr. Dan Straley on Instagram at Straley58. Uh, go check him out there. And also, uh, I mentioned before, he's got a podcast that he does. It's called The Journeyman Podcast. Uh, he does a really good job with it. Uh, it comes back occasionally, so uh, maybe we'll see another appearance with it soon. Hopefully. Uh, and then, yeah, hopefully. And then you guys could follow, of course, the RizzoCast podcast on Twitter and Instagram, at RizzoCast. Go check that out. Um, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you find your podcast, that's where we are. And we will see you next time. Happy holidays. I think this is the last one before the holiday season, or at least that I want to do personally (laughs) before the holiday season. So enjoy the holidays. Merry Christmas. Happy Hanukkah. Whatever you celebrate, have a good time with family and friends and see you next time.